Hello and thanks for your company here on ADH TV. It's so important that you and I create a space for political issues to be discussed, which the mainstream media and mainstream politics won't touch. Uh, what we're up against, folks, it's tyranny. It's tyranny when the issues that are going to be presented on this show are not welcome in the public square. That's why we need to talk about them and shine a light on them. Well, it's a big show coming up today. I'll be talking with Dr. Donna Purcell from Cherish Life Queensland about the decision in the US to ban the controversial abortion drug mifepristone. This is a big, big development. It comes as the US presidential hopeful Governor Ron DeSantis this week signed into law an act to protect unborn babies with a heartbeat. Two really big political developments in the pro-life space in the US this week. We'll unpack why we make so little progress here in Australia. Kiralee Smith from Binary will be joining me for uh, our regular spot to talk about girls and women's rights. And just like the pro-life front, there's also good news to report with Basketball Australia ruling that a male identifying as a female must be banned at the elite end of the sport. We're making progress, folks. I'll also look at the threat uh, of blackouts for Eastern Australia as a result of the giant Liddell coal-fired power station shutting down this week. Foolish action by politicians is doing more to drive up the cost of living than anything households do, yet they as households are the ones that are punished by the Reserve Bank with interest rate rise after interest rate rise. There's other factors. The big news of the week though is the Victorian MP Moira Deeming breaking her silence after her unjust suspension from the Liberals party room. What does her treatment and brilliant defiance mean for Conservatives looking for a political home? All this and more, please stick around. Well, Victorian Upper House MP Moira Deeming broke her silence on Sky News this week after being unfairly smeared and suspended by Liberal leader John Pesuto and her own colleagues. In a sit-down interview with Peter Credlin, the mother of four, who is also a mother which includes you know, three girls, told why she is so passionate, passionate about protecting girls and women's spaces from biological males appropriating their gender. She said, it's just I've experienced what it's like to be vulnerable. I was abused as a child. Uh, I was often targeted in the toilet. Um, I've had men expose themselves to me in public, uh, you know, change rooms and, and toilets. But the difference was I had the right to do something about it and to complain. And that was the biggest difference that I could see in the law was that I, women and girls have no right to complain anymore when their boundaries are invaded like that. Now, Moira said she expected to be called a bigot and a hater by LGBTIQA plus political activists for speaking at the Let Women Speak rally on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. That was the rally uh, that was gatecrashed uh, a few weeks ago by a bunch of neo-Nazis. But Moira didn't expect to be uh, called and labelled a Nazi, but that's exactly what John Pesciuto immediately did, teaming up with Labor Premier Dan Andrews to falsely smear her as a Nazi sympathiser. Now, this was easier for these two politicians than saying no to radical LGBTIQA plus political activists demanding biological males be allowed to invade girls and women's sports and private spaces. Now, Peter Credlin put it to deeming that Pesciuto had defamed her, but Deeming batted away the question with dignity, saying that if she had anything to say to Pesuto, it would be to his face, not via the media. 
The cancelling of deeming by the supposedly conservative side of politics raises issues for conservatives and Christians about where to find a political home. Deeming made it clear that the Liberal Party was her party and that she wasn't going anywhere. She finished the interview exhorting people to not to abandon the Liberal Party, but to join it. I don't want to start another party, she said. Well, all I can say is the Liberals are lucky to have her and they clearly don't deserve her. Now, all this matters for the Family First Party project. Uh, I happen to be the National Director of Family First Australia. Uh, now, many of us have worked for many, many years to try and get the Liberals, the Nationals and Labor, uh, two of our board members are former Labor ministers in a South Australian Labor government. We've tried to get these major parties to fight for faith, freedom, life and family. My attempts over 18 months to rejoin the Liberal National Party in Queensland were rejected despite high-level referees. Citing the LNP's rejection of me, former Prime Minister John Howard wrote last year in his book A Sense of Balance that factionalism meant that the Liberals were often more interested in keeping people out than welcoming them in. Uh, Howard wrote of me that, quote, his values closely align with many Liberals. Howard also said that at the ACL, the Australian Christian Lobby, where I worked for the last 10 years, that, that I echoed the views of millions of Liberal supporters on social issues, end quote. Now, while Moira, Moira has showed incredible courage, grit and grace in weathering a vicious political storm brought upon her by her own leader and colleagues, she remains an outlier in the party. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it is vital that the Liberals have people like Moira, like Senator Alex Antic from South Australia and Senator Matt Canavan from Queensland. They all stand for the values that parties like Family First seek to prosecute, but have all been marginalised by the Liberals and Nationals. Why Senator Canavan is not in shadow cabinet is probably because he's unwilling to drink the climate catastrophist Kool-Aid and he won't shut up about it. While ever the Liberals as a group unit fail to fight reckless net zero policies and the LGBTIQA plus indoctrination of children, there will be a need for family first. While ever Peter Dutton endorses the likes of Labor light Liberal Matt Keane and condemns the likes of sacked Christian Essendon CEO Andrew Thorburn for his Christian views on the sanctity of life, there will be a need for family first. Remember, it was the Liberals who rebuffed Conservative statesman Kevin Andrews by dumping him at pre-selection for a moderate. Now, I hate the use of the term moderate. The moderates in the Liberal Party are people who generally support closing down power stations without proper baseload power. They also support the LGBTIQA plus gender fluid uh, agenda. So they're not moderate at all. Um, the Nationals rebuffed former Deputy Prime Minister John Anderson when he sought to re-enter the Parliament as a Senator. And the Liberals expelled Christian candidate Renee Heath from the party room before she even got into the Victorian Parliament. The Liberals went to last year's Victorian election on a unity ticket with Dan Andrews' so-called conversion therapy laws, which jails parents for seeking to dissuade their own child from having harmful gender reassignment surgery. Why the Liberals would support such a bill and take that as party policy to an election uh, is beyond me. 
The Liberals also took a policy to the last Victorian election to fund more activist lawyers at the Victorian Pride Centre in St Kilda, opening up massive vulnerabilities for freedom of speech and religion. All these activist lawyers do is go after essentially Christians uh, and Christian schools trying to make them comply with LGBTIQA plus ideology. The idea the Liberals would fund this is just crazy. The Liberals leak to the media against Moira because she is pro-life. Now, I'm a huge fan of Senator Alex Antich from South Australia, and before I decided I'd hit my head against the brick wall of membership of the LNP enough times, I helped him recruit, recruit Christians to the South Australian Liberal Party. But I disagree with what he wrote in an email to supporters this week, where he said minor parties were irrelevant and there was only Team Red and Team Blue. Now, by all means, promote a strategy of reforming the Liberal Party. I'm all for that, and if people feel that is where they should best contribute, go for it. But after 25 years of political activism, it is clear to me that both Labor and Liberal are not at all interested in championing life, family, faith, and freedom. Yes, Deeming, Antic, Canavan, and others are exceptions, and more power to them, we need them. But institutionally, the major parties have given up sustaining a public and political debate about the benefits to the common good of heterosexual monogamous marriage, the human rights of unborn babies and their mothers, and freedom of speech and freedom of religion. They are often hostile to people who raise these issues because they would rather placate LGBTIQA plus political activists and the powerful abortion and euthanasia lobbies. I know this from personal experience. These parties won't touch the flawed anti-freedom regime of so-called human rights laws that have seen people like me dragged before the courts for saying things like drag queens are dangerous role models for children. There is a lack of will, there is a lack of courage. The major parties will not fight the demands of the radical left and the libertarian right. That's why Deeming is a rare talent. I admire her courage, but she has been suspended and gagged by the Liberal Party. I hope some people join the Liberal Party and help her fight. But making the values of faith, life, freedom and family mainstream again is not an either or proposition. It is both and. It will take minor party pressure and it will take people from within the majors. It will probably take a long time. Sorry, Alex and Moira, we love you dearly and wish nothing but your success. We are on the same side. But many of us have been left at the altar by Team Red and Team Blue. It is the major parties that have abandoned us and our mainstream values. A political quad of Labor, Greens, Liberals and Teals run Australia. They all believe the same reckless extremism on climate and they are all signed up to anti-family, anti-freedom, LGBTIQA plus ideology. Team Family First is growing rapidly and we're not going away. Say aye. aye. All those opposed say no. no. Showing five hands, the clerk will unlock the machine and members will proceed to vote. Have all members voted? Have all members voted? Have all members voted? The clerk will lock the machine and record the vote. Well, a major win for human rights for unborn children just occurred in the U.S. state of Florida. Florida's Heartbeat Protection Act was passed by the Florida House of Representatives last week and signed this week by Governor Ron DeSantis. 
What you just heard and saw were pro-abortion protesters from the public gallery yelling abortion is healthcare and throwing debris onto the floor of the legislative chamber. Sadly, it's not healthcare for a baby or for a woman who is hurt by abortion. The bill, which enjoys widespread public support, prohibits most abortions after a baby's heartbeat is detected at six weeks of pregnancy. Here's some of the debate by the Florida politicians. We are creating a death sentence for women, and I will not support this bill. As a physician, I find this bill to be scientifically sound. Keep your sanctimonious opinions for your own family and stay out of mine. It really is that simple. We value life or we don't. Now, this significant milestone underscores the importance of having strong voices for family values in the political sphere. If politicians in Florida could make this bold move, the question must be asked why politicians in Australia do not advocate for similar life-affirming legislation. The Heartbeat Protection Act reflects the scientific fact that unborn babies are human beings with beating hearts at six weeks gestation. It also highlights the consensus that these vulnerable children deserve protection. The bill is deeply compassionate to mothers with unsupported pregnancies, providing $25 million per year in support for these women. The bill will save tens of thousands of lives directly by protecting babies from abortion violence. The Family First political party is committed to promoting the sanctity of human life and supporting mothers and families in Australia. We believe that our nation can learn from the success of the Heartbeat Protection Act in Florida and strive to create a future where every life is valued and protected. So we ask our fellow Australians to join us in supporting Family First as we raise a strong voice for family values. Together we can work towards a brighter future for all Australians where every heartbeat is cherished and protected. Well, another positive pro-life news from America, US District Judge Matthew Kaczmarek ruled last week that the US Food and Drug Administration had improperly approved the abortion drug Mifeprestone and failed to adequately assess its safety. Now, Mifeprestone is one of the two drugs that make up RU486, which is used for chemically aborting unborn babies by restricting their supply of nutrients and expelling them from their mother's body. Now, the Biden administration is appealing Kaczmarek's uh, ruling and states like California have begun stockpiling abortion drugs. It looks like this issue is headed for the US Supreme Court, which will be very interesting because there's a majority of conservative judges on the US Supreme Court. Joining me now to discuss this is Dr. Donna Purcell, who heads Cherish Life Queensland. Uh, Donna, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, I know you've been I know you've been in the pro-life movement for many years and uh, I was very keen to get your expert commentary on this uh, US decision which I think is quite extraordinary but first of all just so our audience knows please tell us a little bit about your qualifications as a medical doctor and uh, and why that makes you qualified to comment on uh, issues of, of pro-life matters uh, yes Lyle. well thank you for having me on this morning um, yes so um, I graduated from University of Queensland in 1980 I came to Toowoomba to, to work and to live and to have our family. Um, I've been mainly engaged in, in, in um, well, totally engaged in general practice work since my uh, year at the hospital, um, mainly in a part-time capacity, so to fit in um, having the 
children as well. Um, and I, I've been, done that for, for 40 years now, um, but fairly re just recently I retired from, from work. Yeah, good on you, Donna. Well, and, um, yeah. I, yeah. Donna, what, what's so your... I involved in the work. Yeah, sorry, you go. Um, yeah, you've, you've been involved in the pro-life oh, course well, for a long I, time. I became involved in the pro-life work uh, when I was a university student, and so I remained involved with the pro-life movement um, after coming to Toowoomba, and that's how I became involved with the organisation as well. Yeah, well, I've always been really impressed with the, the scholarly articles you've written uh, over the years. Um, so I was keen to get your reaction uh, to this ruling in Texas. I know, you know, many of us have thought that um, we're not going to see reversals or it's very difficult to see reversals of the advances that have been made by those who uh, promote abortion. And when AU4X6, you know, came on the market about 20 years ago, it's taken all this time before we've now got a judge saying that um, there should be restrictions placed on it. What's your reaction to what's occurred in the US in this past week or so? Uh, well, yeah, cl well, clearly, obviously, we're uh, very happy with and happy to see something like that happen to Australia because um, just as they are promoting medical or what we call medical or chemical abortion in America, so also it is becoming the predominant method in Australia for first trimester abortions. Um, so the, the judges, um, um, his, the Texan judge um, made the ruling so that, that the, the laws in Texas, which have been against abortion since the reversal of Roe versus Wade last year, that that would not be subverted by having um, abortion, border facings taken, brought into the state from, from elsewhere. Um, and that that is a good decision on his part. He also also uh, suspended the FDA's a, um, approval of, of Mifepristone. Um, but however, that decision has been appealed by another court um, just this, this week, I think, and they they overrode the suspension of Mifepristone, but however, they kept significant limits on, on the use of it um, in, at least in, I presume that applies to Texas, um, so that there's, um, has to go back to face-to-face -face appointments with the doctor. Um, they have, it's been reduced to seven weeks, um, which is different to Australia, and in Australia go up to nine weeks. But they've also put a, um, an embargo on a sort of generic um, version of Mifepristone, which is actually domestically was accounting for about two thirds of mm. the of the amount used. Yeah, which Don also is a, reduces the funds available to them. Yeah, yeah. Look, as you say, um, this is now being contested uh, by other other judges, and uh, and and I believe the Biden administration has said earlier it'll go to the U.S. Supreme Court. But can you describe what happens uh, to the woman uh, and the unborn baby when Mifepristone is administered? Yes, well, so mifepristone is what we call an, uh, an, a progesterone antagonist. So progesterone is the um, predominant probably and most one of the most important hormones through the whole nine months of pregnancy. It's cheap. There's two, two main roles for it. It, it um, supports and promotes the development, healthy development of the placenta. And the progesterone is originally produced in a part of the ovary, um, but then its, it's production is continues on the placenta for the whole nine months. 
the first few months is obviously critically important for the development and the maintenance of the placenta because that's through which the unborn receives its nourishment. So using an antagonist of progesterone, in other words, and something acts opposite to its effect, will, will um, cause the, the placenta to, to degrade and not be able to, to perform its function. There's another important role in progesterone. It prevents the uterus becoming irritable through pregnancy, and that's how, why some miscarriages occur. So um, progesterone enhances the relaxation of the uterus to prevent a miscarriage, but mifepristone does the opposite. It prepares the uh, uterus to be excited by the second agent in the combination of, in Australia, it's called MS2 steps. It's two steps. Mifepristone is given first, and about 36 to 48 hours afterwards, another agent called misoprostol is given, and it causes effectively to cause something equivalent to a miscarriage, but it can often be more painful than a miscarriage. Yeah, no, well, thank, thanks for explaining that technical side of it. Um, so essentially what mifepristone does is it, it starves the, uh, the unborn baby of, of nutrients. And as you say, in, in Australia, it can be used up till nine weeks. We know a heartbeat starts at, at least six weeks. Um, the, the, the judge in Texas um, referenced um, some of the side effects. He said the, the Food and Drug Administration, which gave the approval for mifepristone, I think, 20 years ago, and, and this, is, this has just been stalled for, for you know, two decades, um, but um, he's, he's finally got them to look at the side effects. What, what are the side effects uh, to women of AU four hundred six, we're told it's this harmless judge, you know, a drug that you can, you know, get in the mail, take it yourself at home. They don't even, you know, require you to go and see a doctor. But uh, there are side effects to this, aren't there? Oh yes, well definitely, and, and you're right. And it's, it's they try to give the impression it's quick and easy, and it's also much cheaper for the providers as well, which sort of reduces their costs. In, ter in terms of side effects. Probably more of the side effects are caused by the misoprostol, um, which is the agent that causes the expulsion of, of the unborn. And they're things like nausea and some vomiting, diarrhea and abdominal cramping and, and bleeding. Um, and, and that can all be very uncomfortable. And sometimes the bleeding is so severe, about 5% of cases that they actually have to have some intervention to, to uh, stop it to stop, and that might include the need for a blood transfusion. Um, other, uh, there's other significance that there's about up to 6% failure rate of a medical abortion, depending upon the stage of gestation at which it's given. And that would then require them to um, be uh, assessed if, if there's ongoing bleeding that might indicate that abortion hasn't occurred fully. And in most cases, they would then be um, moved on to have a surgical abortion, a, a curatage, we call it, hmm. yes. So, um, so other side effects can be more serious, uh, not not common, but even rare rare ones, including even death due to sepsis from over hmm. um, a tissue left over inside or, or, or missing an ectopic pregnancy because actually the whole process with pristone will not actually necessarily necessarily stop ectopic pregnancies. That's when they're forming in the tubes mm. or elsewhere. So, Donna, most um, medications, you know, come with some risks and, and putting aside the ethical issue of killing an unborn baby, which, of course, um, you and I and, and so many uh, mainstream people would be opposed to, but um, are, are the risks to women's health acceptable in the case of 
mifepristone, if, if this was just any other medication, if it wasn't being used for killing unborn babies? Um, well, the best way to answer that, I think, is, is um, what, what they call acceptable um, from an example point of view, an organisation such as the TGA, which are only looking at side effects and incidence of side effects, etc., um, they, me they measure it by the uh, relative risks of from surgical abortion, which is previously the more common method of, of performing an abortion. That'd be a DNC or a suction abortion. So by those standards. There, there is no significant differences in the in the side effects, the short I should have to say short term effects. Um, we we don't know any really long term effects. I don't know if there's any longitudinal studies will be done on this because obviously abortion providers do not want to do not want bad news to get out about their product. Um, there's also what they call post marketing surveillance. I I haven't seen a lot of those studies. Um, However, there's quite an interesting study that came up if we're talking about long-term risks, maybe to um, risks of infertility to women. There was a study um, which was presented to the TGA uh, when they were approving mifepristone some, some time back. It showed that there were toxicological um, uh, with, with toxicological studies in rat, rats and mice, and they were given mifepristone, and they could detect effects of that six months after it was administered. Hmm. And I think that's, uh, we can't necessarily translate rats and mice experiences across to humans, but I think it's an important important question, is there any long-term effects of this? Yeah, that's right. And, and look, obviously, this judge in Texas, um, he, uh, again, having looked at the evidence, uh, which ha had been around for 20 years, this had, this had been stalled, of course, and uh, he took the view that um, this is just something that's not safe enough to, to put in the mail for women to self-administer at home and that there should be some restrictions based on uh, placed upon it. Um, um, we, we keep getting told, as, as you said earlier, that this is a you know safe and effective and quick thing. That's it's no big deal, but it, of course, there's a lot more to it, and it, it certainly needs more of a spotlight shone on it. Yes, well, there's, there's other aspects. I think they haven't, they don't talk about too from the psychological point of view. You know, so women may not be prepared for this. Um, the surgical abortion sort of looks very clinical and remote. They just go to a day surgery and it's all done. It, in medical abortion, it's, it's done at home. Um, they they may not be prepared for the amount of bleeding and pain involved. And, and I have to say also they may not be prepared to see um, tissue and which in some cases from anecdotal reports have been identifiable as parts yeah. of, of an unborn child. Yeah. That'll depend, what they see will depend upon the stage of gestation. Yeah. But I've not seen any of that mentioned yeah, it's a discussion that that certainly needs to be had. It's a delicate one, and um, uh, I think you know it's important that forums like this uh, allow that to happen. Donna, what, what do you say to those who think that aborting uh, a fetus in the early stages of pregnancy, um, and this is often used to justify the use of these drugs, AU486, uh, that you know, abortion in the early stages is not as ethically challenging as, as late-term abortions? Uh, well, I think in all and with all ethical debates, we have to look at what what the uh, uh, established science is or established facts that are relevant to the debate. And in, and in an abortion, it's really well, what abort, what does abortion do? 
and and we know that it ends a human life because science has demonstrated that all human life begins at conception. And the second question, to my mind, then is: Does size matter? Um, people, despite the amount of information is on prenatal development, a lot of this hasn't filtered down to the average person. And so when they just look at a picture, they just see something very, you know, it doesn't have a lot of shape initially, so it doesn't look very human to them. So it's easy for them to think, well, because it doesn't look human, it's not really human yet, or it's not even alive yet, which is obviously not possible because nothing that is alive can grow. Yeah. So um, sometimes we use little um, models or props in our, in our uh, work and we use um, a little symbol called a precious feet, which am I able to show that? Yeah, please do. Yeah, 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 I think that's um, important so that's, to show. Um, this, little, this little picture is, we call the precious feet. Um, it might be a bit hard to see, but, but yeah, no, they're actually in real life size at 10 weeks. They're a centimetre long, and that that has come from the work of a, a Dr. Russell Sacco, who saw these specimens in the pathology laboratory yeah. from an abortion clinic. Yeah. Um, and this is another little one, which is three months, and that is the real life size and weight of a three-month-old unborn child. Three months old. And that's old. about six and a half centimetres, weighs about 30 grams. Of, um, so if we're looking at size, then it, it really doesn't matter because, in fact, so much of the development of any of an unborn at any time Will, will be as a result of the working out of the DNA, DNA message they received at conception. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, well, look, Donna, that's fantastic. It's such a, a battle to educate people about the basics. And, and of course, we all started off uh, that little, and um, that, that's the ethical issue. Donna, um, Cherish Life Queensland is holding uh, one of the great um, marches for life. Uh, they're in several states, which is fantastic. It's a, it's a wonderful movement. I've been to many of them myself over the years. Uh, your annual march is uh, this Saturday. Um, we're going to air Friday. This is tomorrow in Queensland. Uh, how can people um, who are watching this uh, get along and join that march in Brisbane? Well, yes. Yeah, so so, the, so the, the details are that it commences at 2pm outside Parliament House on George Street in what they call the Speaker's Corner. People in Brisbane are familiar with that. It's just in that little corner near the near the Botanical Gardens. It starts with um, speeches. We have several um, well-known speakers coming to us. Yeah, tell us who Senator you got Canavan. this year. Yeah, Matt Canavan, yeah. Yeah, Senator, Senator Canavan, who, of course, will be speaking on his bill, which he's co-sponsored with two other senators. This, this is the Born Alive the, bill to, to look after babies uh, right. who have been born alive. Yeah, that's terrific. That's right, yes. There's um, uh, jo Johanna Howe, who's a legal um, uh, professor from, from Melbourne. Um, there is uh, Wendy Francis from the ACL and Amanda Stoker, pre previously a senator of Queensland, who will be speaking on, on her, work, her current work at, at present. And then from there we progress. We do a march around a few streets in Brisbane and return to that site. Fantastic. Um, well, and, and if people can come along and listen to what's happening, because there, there's a few developments going on in, in Queensland and Australia, which they can help us with. Fantastic. Well, Donna, that's all we've got time for today. But I'd certainly encourage everyone to get along uh, tomorrow, 2 p.m. at George Street, outside Parliament House, Speaker's Corner there, and be part of the Cherish Life Queensland March for Life. It's, there'll be thousands of people there, terrific speakers. Uh, Donna, thank you so much for sharing uh, your time and your expertise today with us on ADH TV.
Thank you very much, Lyle. Thank you. Well, it's time for my regular catch-up with women and girls' rights campaigner Kiralee Smith. But before I bring Kiralee in, there's been some good news from the UK this week. The Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has said people with penises can't be women. Wow, brilliant. Uh, finally, there's a politician in the world that's working it out. And in a recent development, new guidelines have been proposed in the UK that require schools to inform parents if their children begin identifying with a different gender. Now, this is of course welcome, and it is common sense, and Australian politicians should follow the UK example because this is in stark contrast to the Daniel Andrews Labor government in Victoria, which has made it education department policy to withhold such information from parents. And there was news uh, just this week from Queensland that a similar policy is in place there, keeping parents in the dark about children who might be wanting to change their gender at school. Now, parents should be included in all discussions about their child's gender identity. It is crucial for parents to be informed and to participate in these important important conversations which can have significant impact on their well-being and development. The new guidelines in the UK, set to be finalised in coming weeks, stipulate that families must be informed if students change names or uniforms at school. Additionally, they recommend banning self-declared transgender students from opposite sex changing rooms and providing bespoke facilities where possible for those students. Sunak has praised the guidelines saying it was important for parents to know what's going on. Bravo, Rishi Sunak. Well, let's bring in Kiralee now. Kiralee, thanks for joining me. Uh, it's common is common sense finally starting to break out in this space? Oh, look, all we can do is hope, Lyle. It's, it's absolutely, it is mind-boggling and beyond comprehension. Every day, the, the things, the headlines that we wake up to. But, uh, of course, parents should have, you know, consent and knowledge and the ability to oppose uh, things regarding their own children. Do you think if parents knew that there were these education department po policies, we know it's uh, in Victoria, we know that the Liberals said nothing about it in the lead-up to the Victorian election, we know now it's in Queensland. I haven't heard a, a, a squeak out of uh, the Queensland LNP leader, David Crucifelli. Um, if, if parents had champions in the parliament pointing this out, it'd be a different story, wouldn't it? A hundred percent. And look, we know that the general public are not aware of these policies. In fact, when we highlighted Daniel Andrews' policy in Victoria, we took a direct screenshot from the uh, actual website. Uh, the RMIT and ABC fact-checked did a fact check on us and said that we were we weren't telling the truth yet we took the screenshots yeah. directly from uh the government websites and the point of saying that is that when parents are made aware that these are very real policies and they are happening one it's either too late or two they just they really do think it's not happening so the biggest challenge we face is raising awareness and equipping parents to be able to uh, protect their own children. Yeah, well, look, there's an election coming up in October next year in Queensland. I know Family First will be fighting hard and this will be one of the key issues. And I know binary will be, binary will be right in there campaigning for this. We've just got to keep fighting. Now, now Kiralee, um, other uh, positive news this week uh, from Basketball Australia, they have banned uh, a biological male, Lexi Rogers, who identifies as a woman from playing in semi-professional uh, leagues in the Victorian competition. But uh, while this looks like a win, the fight is far from over, isn't it? 
Correct, because it's still at community level, males are allowed to participate as females and it's absolutely insane. We can go through all of the scientific and biological reasons, uh, you know, such as the benefits of testosterone, but even when we reduce the level of testosterone, you still have the height, the reach, the uh, fast twitch muscle fibres, the blood volume, the heart and lung capacity, but all of that aside, Lyle, Men are not women. And if we're going to have male and female divisions in sport, let them be male and female. And that means to the exclusion of the other and if if absolutely necessary, create a transgender competition or a mixed or open competition, but allow women and girls to have a female-only sporting divisions. We've had them, you know, since women have been allowed to play sport and there's no reason whatsoever to allow a male into that female competition. So good decision to exclude Lexi from the female competition. Lexi can still play in the male competition. Nobody's excluding him. Uh, however, there should be no males in any female sport whatsoever in this country. It's completely unnecessary and beyond comprehension. Kiralee, why did Basketball Australia need an expert panel to determine whether Lexi Rogers uh, should play with women? I mean, surely it's not that difficult. Oh, it is not that difficult. A panel of three-year-olds could have made the decision, Lyle, because everybody can see who a man is and who a woman is. It doesn't matter what costumes you wear or how long your hair is. Men are men, women are women, and it did not require experts. And this has become a political minefield, and, and that's all it is. It's, it's just been reduced to politics because it's not based on science. It's not based on common sense, and it's not based on women and girls' sex-based rights. So the reasons why, who knows, you know, they had some extra money to pay, I don't know, to experts, but it was yeah. ridiculous that that is what it required. It, it is ridiculous. Um, uh, now, a, a voice who's been terrific on this is former Boomers captain Andrew Bogut, uh, who has been very brave. He said that the problem of males playing with girls at the junior level was rife and ordinary people have been bullied into submission by LGBTIQA political activists. Um, that, that's really what it boils down to, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's happening across so many sporting codes right now in Australia, Lyle, where at the community level, uh, both the players, the coaches, the parents are all being bullied uh, and threatened by their own sporting codes that if they complain or uh, raise these concerns, that they will, they will be the ones who are excluded from competition and that they will be ostracised by their teammates or other progressives in the club. It's, it's utterly unfair. And uh, you know, this is a, a discussion that needs to be had far and wide and these sporting uh, sporting codes, peak bodies, are really misusing their power when it comes to silencing uh, everyday Aussies from having this conversation. Yeah, I, I can imagine how this would put a lot of pressure on, on parents, you know, at, at, say, the local netball. I spent years on the sidelines of a, a netball court watching my daughter. Uh, thankfully, there are no boys, boys trying to play in her team, but if uh, fast forward to today and that was the case um, and there were parents insisting that their little, you know, Harry who wants to be Sally plays and if, if I complain, that, that creates a really awkward situation for parents to try and deal with. Uh, it's horrible because, you know, um, community clubs are usually very close. Uh, children have grown up together. Families know each other really well. It um, causes a massive wedge and division. Nobody wants to be called a phobe of any kind. However, I think more and more of us are starting to wear of it badge of honour because of what it means. But uh, that's what the, um, you know, these peak bodies and activists count on is that we won't speak up, that we'll be silent, that we'll allow this to happen. And if we just had clear-cut biological um, 
definitions and and that's what the competitions and divisions were for, then it wouldn't even be a problem. Nobody's saying these children can't play sport. It's just let's do it fairly and safely for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now th- this is getting quite um, serious, this whole debate. And uh, Kiralee, I noticed I've, I've been on a break for a couple of weeks, but I noticed um, your name popped up uh, in my news feed uh, that you were being investigated by the police around these sort of issues. I know there's some things you, you probably can't say, but um, it, it's in relation to your campaigning uh, about whether biological males should be playing in junior sport. Um, what, what can you tell us about what I saw in the news about you being investigated by the police? Well, first of all, I'll say never believe everything you see in the news, especially when it's issued by the ABC. I think it was an they ABC made allegations <laughs> of <laughs> correct. They made allegations of um, hate speech crimes, vilification, defamation. I've not been informed of any of those things. So either they've got inside information that uh, has been leaked to them and they're you know putting that out in public or not, I don't know. Uh, there is truth to the um report that uh, applications for apprehended violence orders have been issued against me. Uh, All I'll say is that that is before the courts and I will rigorously defend myself against those accusations. I am not violent. I have never been violent. I do not incite or endorse violence in any way, shape or form. Uh, But yeah, just I think most of your viewers already know it, but never believe everything you read on the ABC, that's for sure. Well, well, thank you for sharing that. And obviously the fact that you're engaged in legal action is deeply disturbing because uh, I know you to be uh, someone who's not violent. You're campaigning, but this seems to be the ultimate in cancel culture. And uh, we'll certainly watch this with interest, Kiralee, and support you all the way. Now, speaking of um, people who are being persecuted for their views about biology, um, I spoke at the top of the show today about Moira Deeming's uh, very brave interview with uh, Peter Credlin on Sky News last night. She's also given a second interview to my colleague here at ADHD, Fred Paul, uh, so go and check that out as well. Now, um, uh, what was your reaction, Kiralee, to Moira's breaking her silence and uh, the very raw comments that she made about her situation? Yeah, well, tears, a lot of tears that uh, she's been put in that situation in the first place. And as a woman, as a friend of Moira's, I'm absolutely gobsmacked that this has even happened. She did nothing wrong. She said nothing wrong. She is a beautiful woman, a mother, uh, a wife, who is standing up and speaking in defence of women's sex-based rights. And uh, for her to have been, you know, this witch hunt, this persecution, these penalties that have been dished out for her, to her are absolutely absurd and uh, really serious and really disturbing. And I think she was so brave and so articulate. Yes, very raw, very vulnerable, but what a beautiful example of how to have uh, a really reasoned, uh, intelligent discussion about this issue. Yeah, really well said, Kiralee, and I'd certainly encourage people to go and watch uh, the interview with Fred Paul. Uh, Still on the Liberal Party, um, the South Australian Women's Council of the Liberal Party last weekend passed a motion uh, supporting uh, Moira, so condemning Liberal leader John Pesuto's attack on her. The motion read this, and I'll just read it out quickly and get your response, Kiralee. It read that the Liberal Women's Council condemns the Victorian opposition leader John Pesuto's attack on Moira Deeming, MLC. Uh, that we request the SA Liberal Party makes a stand and that we support the organisation Let Women Speak and Other Brave Women, end quote. Now, Kiralee, this is big news, but it's not been reported anywhere because the media, they're protecting John Pesuto and and his gutless colleagues who also voted with him to to suspend Moira from the party room for no reason. Uh, 
What are the chances, uh, Kiralee, of the South Australian Liberal politicians uh, following through on this motion from their own grassroots members? Look, uh, I really don't know, Lyle. At least we've got people, wonderful champions like Alex Antic in South Australia, who uh, who I know would be, and he already has promoted uh, and and shown uh, that document on social media. But it is mind-boggling that in 2023 there are male politicians in this country who don't want to let women speak. I cannot believe yeah. it. I think that those men should be shamed absolutely and utterly ashamed of themselves that we should we should have every right to mock them to shame them and to expose them because it is it is not unreasonable and it is unthinkable to me that there are males in this country who do not want to let women speak i, I can't yeah. i cannot express that strongly enough um good on the women's liberal uh, association that did that and i hope that there will be some very decent uh, and strong men who will stand in support of those motions. Well, Kiralee, I, I hope that too, um, but I'll make a prediction here on ADH TV that uh, you won't see one uh, South Australian state Liberal parliamentarian acting on that motion, which was passed by the Women's Liberal Council. Uh, Kiralee, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much again for being with us. We'll look forward to chatting with you again next week. Thanks for having me, Lyle. Well, just after the New South Wales election, Jihad Dib was expected to take up the energy portfolio in the Labor Premier Chris Min's new government. He was quick to declare that keeping the lights on would be his highest priority if he got the job for which he was the front runner. Who would have thought simply maintaining a basic service upon which we all rely would ever be the top priority of any government in 2023, but such other times? Now, the Liberals under Matt Keane's reckless stewardship of the energy portfolio created a situation where many market analysts could not say if the New South Wales electricity system would go dark at evening peak times when the giant Liddell coal-fired power station is turned off this week. Now, former Howard Government Treasurer Peter Costello shared some wisdom on John Anderson's podcast last week about net zero policies. Take a look. I was in that school that always used to say, let's figure out how we can do something before we announce we're going to do it. Right? <laughs> These days you just announce you're going to do it and you've got no idea. Now, that, of course, is not rocket science, or at least it wasn't for politicians a generation ago. None of this work has been done by our modern green energy enthusiasts. And only uh, the only certainty about Australia's transition to renewables is that power prices will continue to go up, probably at least for the next 10 years. All the while, no one can say for sure if the lights will stay on when demand peaks on hot days or windless evenings when the sun has gone down. So why is a political party like Family First concerned about this? Well, because a major contributor to family breakdown and the harm this causes children is financial pressure. Governments who make family basics like electricity unaffordable and unreliable are not just hobbling the economy's ability to produce manufacturing jobs, they are tearing at the heart of our social fabric. High energy prices coupled with out of control state and federal government spending is petrol on the dumpster fire of inflation, which is in turn cannibalising family wealth. While it is families who cop the double whammy uh, as the Reserve Bank punishes them with high interest rates on their mortgages, uh, another one of the politician-induced problems 
that's putting unbearable pressure on young families is the ridiculously high price of housing. And this is caused by lack of supply. Politicians spend with impunity, they vandalize the electricity supply, and they fail to release enough land. All the while, working families bear all the economic pain. It is just unjust. Now, Jihad did, did not get the energy portfolio when, the, when Minns announced his cabinet two weeks ago. The person who did, Upper House member Penny Sharp, was quick to walk back the keep the lights on mantra that Jib had first floated. Now, in, in a no cause for alarm comments uh, to the media last week, Penny Sharp was at pains to point out that everything is fine. There would be no immediate impact on supply because of Liddell's closure, she said. New generating capacity would take care of that. Well, who is right, Dib or Sharp? There's a clue in this week's Australian Financial Review from University of New South Wales Senior Energy Research Associate, Dr. Dylan McConnell. The AFR reports that he and others underscore that the bulk of the new capacity is wind and solar generation, which cannot be depended upon to cover peak evening electricity demand. Now, that's code for New South Wales might experience blackouts. Green energy proponents always point to battery storage as the solution to the lack of 24-7 generating capacity of windmills and solar panels. But the Australian Financial Review also reports, and I quote again, storage has also been added faster than anticipated as costs dropped, but only provides a fraction of the power needed to supply on demand, end quote. Now, it's a shame Dib missed out on the energy portfolio. At least he would have made keeping the lights on his priority. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for your company. Don't forget to check out all the great content on ADH TV. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook. And of course, there's the Family First website, familyfirstparty.org.au. Until next week, goodbye.